Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we have the one and only Patrick Bet David. very hard to have killer instinct by intentionally getting there. Very, very hard. Because to have killer instinct, it has to be a deeper pain of humiliation. It has to be a deeper pain of somebody breaking your heart or a public loss or a scar, a few words, a look, a girl breaking your heart, losing everything, a massive setback, somebody looking down at your family. You can't fabricate those feelings right so intentionally you can become somewhat competitive but life almost needs to happen to you to have the killer instinct that some of these people have because that chip cannot be fabric you can't go to walmart and say aisle number 17 i'm going to buy a chip on my shoulder to want to do something big you cannot do it I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Well, hello there, Keto Camper. I am so excited to share Patrick Bet David with you. This is one of my all-time favorite interviews, and I gotta just share with you real quick that this episode is not mm, what you would call a typical Keto Camp podcast episode. It's more about entrepreneurial mindset, success principles, developing discipline. So if you are not interested in any of that, then this might be an episode you might want to skip because we're not going to get into keto and fasting. We'll talk a little bit about health, but this is more of a mindset success episode. And selfishly, I wanted to make this episode happen because I have been studying Patrick Bet David for so many years. He has mentored me from afar with his books, with his online resources, and he's made a big difference in my life. So I finally got him on the show. And on this episode, he talks about his story of immigrating from Iran, which by the way, that is where I am from. My parents are from Iran and they immigrated here from there. And he talks about himself and how he immigrated here from Iran at the age of 10. And now he is one of the most successful entrepreneurs on planet Earth. We're gonna talk about what to do when life challenges you and how to pivot and take that challenge turn it into something great. We're going to get into entrepreneurship. So if you are an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur or an entrepreneur or somebody who just wants to scale and grow and be successful, this is the episode for you. We talk about discipline, why discipline is so important to creating an abundant, successful life, why health is our true wealth, why it pays the best dividends, and how if you don't focus on your health, what is it worth? We're gonna talk about how to develop the right mindset for success, how to crush your goals, whether it's a health goal, a business goal, a relationship goal, how to crush that goal, and how, why Patrick Bet David has so much confidence in how you can have 
this confidence too. So I can't wait to share it with you. I mean, Patrick Bet David, you're gonna hear when I introduce him some of the amazing things he's accomplished and what he's still out to do in this world. It is very impressive. I wanna acknowledge you for choosing this episode. Thank you. We are on a mission here at Keto Camp to educate and to inspire one billion people on planet Earth. We release a brand new episode here at Keto Camp two to three times per week. We're committed to getting the message out there. So thank you for choosing this podcast. Subscribe if you're not subscribed yet and uh, share this episode if you get value from it from a friend. Take a screenshot, by the way, of this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast and tag myself and tag Patrick Bet David when you post it on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi and Patrick's Instagram handle is at PatrickBetDavid. When I see that, I'll share it on my story and we'll get some other Keto Campers following you back. Also, if you want to tag the Keto Camp official Instagram, you could do so over at, at Keto Camp official. If you're interested in checking out some of these kits I have put together for you, I have a kit on starting the keto diet, what supplements to use to prevent things like the keto flu. I have a kit for somebody who's on keto, but their sleep is struggling. I have a kit for building up your immune system. I have a kit for my YouTube setup, my podcast setup. I have put it all together for you over at ketocampkit.com. That is camp with a K. Check them out. And I'm sure you'll get some value from some of these kits I have put together for you. If you want to watch the video interview with Patrick, it's on the YouTube channel, on our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash keto camp camp with the K. Let's get into this interview with the legendary Patrick Bet David. Patrick Bet David launched the PHP Agency, an insurance sales marketing and distribution company. And he did this before the age of 30. PHP is now one of the fastest growing companies in the financial marketplace. Patrick speaks on a range of business, leadership, entrepreneurial topics, including how and why to become an entrepreneur and the importance of learning how to fully process issues. Patrick has interviewed some of the greatest people in the world. NBA Hall of Famers James Worthy, Magic Johnson, Robert Greene, billionaire entrepreneurs, And actually, on this episode, we talk about his interview with the late and great Kobe Bryant. What he's going to share on this episode about Kobe Bryant is going to give you goosebumps. And it was one of Kobe Bryant's last interviews before he tragically passed away. And you're going to hear that on this episode. Patrick Bet David has a YouTube channel, Valuetainment, that has over 2 million subscribers. Go subscribe to it today. His Instagram has almost 3 million subscribers. Go follow him today. And let's welcome Patrick Beck David. Patrick Beck David, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. It's good to be on with you. I'm so excited. I have been following your work for over five years, maybe closer to six years. And I am so impressed with what you're doing in the world. And before we get to all that, please share your amazing story from somebody who left the country of Iran around the age of 10 to doing all the great things you're doing today. So yeah, you know, you were just sharing your story with your father, which was incredible on what he had to do in 1972, I think, when he came out here and life changing for you, obviously, seeing you what you're doing today. Yeah, I was born and raised in Iran. I was born in 1978, October, which is the peak of the revolution. We stayed there till uh, Khomeini passed away, six weeks after Khomeini passed away in June of uh, 1989, we escaped, went to Germany, lived at a refugee camp in Germany for about a year and a half. 
then came to the States, uh, went to high school in Glendale, California, and then I joined the Army, went to the 101st Airborne, uh, got out, went and started working at Valley Total Fitness. I wanted to be the next Arnold, bodybuilder-wise, you know. And then the meta girl who worked at Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, I decided to go and work at Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, a day before 9-11 on 9-10, which is uh, pretty wild because I'm supposed to go to Morgan Stanley, New York for training. Last minute, obviously, after what takes place, we go to San Francisco and the training ends up happening at Mark Hopkins Hotel. And then stay in the financial industry, seven and a half year, eight years later, I started my own insurance company, PHP Agency. We grew it from 66 agents today to over 14,000 agents in 49 states. We have 130 offices. And on the side, I started a YouTube channel seven years ago. I want to say November of 2012 was our first upload. November 19, 2012 was our first upload. And that grew from uh, what it was then to now, you know, being valuetainment, couple million subscribers and few billion minutes watch and few billion views on all of total social media. So that's briefly my story. And I want to talk a little bit about that because the first three years in, you were like, oh, this YouTube channel is probably not my cup of tea and uh, I'm probably going to cancel this. And then you made a pivot. So could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So initially when I started, the channel was called Patrick Bay David and I was talking about all sorts of things and it wasn't effective. And then one day I uh, sat down with a guy who was a very successful former CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And he asked me, he says, what's, what's the one word you know the most about? And I said, what do you mean? He says, what do you talk about the most? So I came back, I started asking everybody. I asked my wife, I asked my coworkers, my peers, my family. And they said, Pat, you can't stop talking about capitalism and entrepreneurship. I said, but I have other things I want to talk about. He says, yeah, but that's your number one. So I said, that's what we're going to do. So then we changed the channel from Patrick Bay David to Valuetainment. And uh, our number one word became entrepreneur. And when we made that pivot, if you go right now on uh, YouTube and you type in the word entrepreneur, you go to filters and you type in views, we are the most viewed YouTube channel on the topic of entrepreneurship. That changed the game because we were wide. We couldn't grow. I went very deep into just one topic now we're wider because it's very interesting that when you go narrow and you have a specific topic to talk about you find your niche then you can expand even more but that's kind of what happened to the brand oh that's amazing that resonates with me so much because i also had a youtube channel called benazadi since 2010 i think and no traction about a year and a half ago i was a little frustrated with it there was like three thousand subscribers so i found somebody who had the fruit on their tree, meaning they had the results that I wanted to get on YouTube, and I paid them to teach me. And they said the same thing that you just said. You're all over the place. You're talking about mindset. You're talking about keto. You're talking about sleep. What do you love to talk about? And I said, I'd love to talk about ancient healing strategies like keto and fasting. And then we came up with Keto Camp. So we started a new channel, Patrick. This was 15 months ago, and we're about to hit 100K subscribers. Get out of here in 15 months, right? I and love we're, that. And, and I have a goal to hit a million before the year's up and then go from there because the significance of those numbers, as you know, is those people that are getting this information and cutting through all that noise out there. So it resonated with me what you shared there. Well, congratulations to you. 100,000 in less than, uh, you said 15 months? Yeah. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Thank you, Patrick. And, and one of your interviews on your incredible channel was with uh, Kobe Bryant, the late and great Kobe Bryant. And I'd love to hear what were some of the main lessons that you learned from that interview with him? You know, Kobe and I came up, meaning he's in 96. He you know, started playing for the Lakers in 96. Him and I are six weeks apart. 
I believe his birthday is August 23rd, and I'm October 18th. And uh, he's six weeks older than me. So when he came to L.A., I followed his career from day one till the end. And his level of competitiveness I related to because there were two plays I related to the most, Jordan and Kobe, not necessarily because their game, because I don't have a game to say to, you know, make the comparison there. But the level of the desire to want to compete I related to two guys. Those guys just had this level of killer instinct. You could look at their eyes and there was fire in their eyes. You you can't see eyes like that in the league today. Maybe you see a little bit of it in some Westbrook or maybe a little bit in Giannis or a little bit in some of the guys, but you don't see it like he had it, uh, like those guys had it. So, you know, there was some kind of a relationship from a distance and then I made it in insurance and I built the company I built and then obviously Kobe becomes Kobe in his league. So when we came, uh, brought him on board to be a guest, he and I spent an hour in a conference room together, and we're just talking, talking about life. And I was watching him to see how he was. He spent 15 minutes with my son, Dylan, six-year-old kid. He spent another 15 minutes talking to my wife. They were just talking by themselves, sitting over there and uh, about life. There's some real good shots of them speaking to one another. And when the day happened, when Kobe passed away, we were at Seasons 52. I think there's certain event, events in our lives where you remember exactly where you were at. 9-11 is one of them. Uh, Kobe's going to be one of them for me. I was at Seasons 52 when that took place. And I got the news, and I'm looking at it saying, there's no way in the world this is real. It's another big spoof. And then CNN and Fox reported it. Then I said, then this is really, it just happened. And Dylan, my son next to me, sees the phone. He says, wait a minute. It says Kobe Bryant died. I said, yes. He says, my friend, Kobe's my friend. And the reason why this six-year-old kid thinks Kobe's his friend, because Kobe spent that 50 minutes talking to him as if he's an adult. That's the side of stuff that you don't learn about people. You only see it on the floor. You almost have to be on the back end of things to see these types of things taking place. But the thing with Kobe is very simple. This guy had a level of clarity that none of his peers during his era had for the longest period of time like him. Nobody in that 20-year period, no one had his level of focus like he had. He was determined to chase number 23, which is the number he put 24 to make it a statement. I'm going to be one better than you, and I'm not afraid of saying it to the world. That's a pretty gutsy thing to say. It's like saying, I'm going to go... Hey, Alexander the Great, you conquered the world 2 million square miles. I'm going to conquer 3 million square miles. Not a small thing to say because most people don't want to be in a shadow of a guy like that. Most people avoid it. Well, don't make the comparison. Don't do this. Kobe's like, no, I'm number 24. I'm going to be better than this guy. And obviously it didn't happen. Some people can make the argument, but Jordan was, and I'm a Kobe guy. I'm not even a diehard Jordan person. I'm more of Kobe than, than Jordan. But Kobe's level of determination to do his part, a guy with lesser talent than Jordan, not his vertical leap, not his quick step like Jordan, not the size of hands Jordan had, not the physique Jordan had, but he, he was able to compete at that level. You know, even Phil Jackson once said in an interview, which you got to, this, this applies to everybody that's watching this. They said, what's the biggest difference between Kobe and uh, Jordan? They said, Jordan never worked as hard as Kobe did. Kobe was the hardest working player he ever had. He says, I never had a player that was more focused on improving the game than he was. Nobody. Uh, and, and that's because he wasn't as talented as Jordan was. So for me, it was a very emotional interview because, you know, when we talked and we sat down, you can see from the interview, we're having a great time together. 
And then afterwards, uh, a relationship was started where uh, we were getting ready to do some other stuff together, but the unfortunate thing happened. So uh, every time I go back to that interview with Kobe, my, uh, I, I, I kind of go to a whole different place in my life. But uh, yeah, it was a very unique experience sitting down with Kobe. Yeah, and I recommend those watching or listening to go, go watch that interview. It's a very impactful interview. Uh, do, do you believe that those traits that Kobe possessed, that, that killer instinct, that tenacity is something that you're born with or something you could develop over time? Uh, I don't think you're born with. Uh, I do think the competitiveness is yes, because my son, who's in the office right now with me, from as far back as I can go, if I told him I can do it faster, he's like, no way. If I said somebody can do it better, he, he'd be like, are you kidding me? No way. There's no way. So I bet I can do this. You can't do this. Like, we'll, I'll wrestle him and I'll say, say I give up. No, I have him by the neck. I'm 250 pounds, 6'5 on top of him. And this kid is eight years old. Say I win. No, I'm not. I have him. No, he's pinching me. He's punching me. He's, so this kid has been like this since like that from day one. Like he's the guy that if, you know, he does something bad and I give him papal, he will say, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Like he's that guy, right? My six-year-old is offended when I give him discipline. He's like, I thought you loved me. Why would you do something like this to me? So just through the eyes of kids, you can tell that we're all wired a certain way from the day we're born. Now, let's set that part aside. Let me give you the other part. I was a innocent, shy kid growing up, okay? I never liked anybody doing anything to my family. You can say anything you say to me. You do things to me. There's a streak of stories that one day will come out. I won't say it, but I guarantee somebody else is going to tell these stories as this brand gets bigger. And people are going to say, wow, Patrick is really capable of doing things like that. It is what it is. There are certain events that happen in a person's life and you change not intentional. It's very hard to have killer instinct by intentionally getting there. Very, very hard. Because to have killer instinct, it has to be a deeper pain of humiliation. It has to be a deeper pain of somebody breaking your heart or a public loss or a scar, a few words, a look, a girl breaking your heart, losing everything, a massive setback, somebody looking down at your family. You can't fabricate those feelings, right? So intentionally, you can become somewhat competitive, but life almost needs to happen to you to have the killer instinct that some of these people have because that chip cannot be fabric. You can't go to Walmart and say, aisle number 17, I'm gonna buy a chip on my shoulder to wanna do something big. You cannot do it. Life sometimes needs to happen and some people have more painful events that happens to them. And when it does, like even today with the coronavirus thing taking place, everybody's reacting in a completely different way with this, right? Everybody is. You have those who started off afraid, now they're calm. You have those who were calm, now they're afraid. You have those who were calm, they're still calm. You have those who were afraid, they're still afraid. When the news first came out, when we were shut down. So those who were afraid that they're calm, now they've done some due diligence. Maybe those who were calm, now they're afraid. Now these reports are scaring them even more. Those who were afraid are always going to be afraid. Those who were calm are always typically calm. So there are certain things that are part of you and your life, and there are certain things where times like this, we learn about everybody, but more importantly, you learn about yourself because we can act around everybody. I can go and act hardcore around everybody, but I can't act hardcore around the mirror, 
and I can't act hardcore when I'm in the car by myself, frightened like hell, that's when the reality hits. It's like a test right now. It's hell week right now with sports, and people are learning about themselves. So to, to talk about the killer instinct with Kobe, these are actually the best times to find out if that killer instinct can be, you know, somehow inspired in your spirit to want to come out and prove a point. You know, it's moments like this where strange people are born. I don't know why, but that's just kind of what happens. So would I be correct in assuming that, or I imagine that this, what's going on with the quarantine, the coronavirus, the shutdown, your lens on it is that this is an opportunity versus a setback? I mean, no question about it. We had our biggest month last month in the month of March, and I sell insurance. You know, I was talking to two big investment bankers. One of them does more deals than Goldman Sachs. Last year, Hulahan Loki, everybody knows Hulahan Loki. It's a very big name in New York. They do a lot of deals. And I talked to another investment banker, great people. It's about nine investment bankers I was going through, but these two guys mainly. And I spoke to them. I said, so let me ask you a question. Based on you being in the insurance space and the financial space, what are you seeing right now happening in the month of March in the insurance industry? What's the typical drop-off that is expected? What are you seeing? He says, oh, you know, those who only dropped off 30%, those are the ones that are we respect a lot. But it's between 30 to 50% that insurance sales have dropped off. I said, okay, and that's life sales. Yeah, life sales, 30 to 50%. Because PNC, you don't need to see your agent. You can sell online. You know, it's not a face-to-face -face sale. Auto insurance, you probably never met your auto insurance agent. I never have. So we sell in a different way. Life, you probably met your agent with life, but maybe not the uh, PNC. And I'm life, so life, I got to see your face. So I said, interesting you say that. Last March 2019, we sold 4,779 policies. Last March 2019. It was a record then, 4,779. I said, this March, we sold... 6,419 in one month. Last March, we sold 200 annuities in one month. It was a record then, $8.75 million. This March, we sold 313 annuities, $19.335 million of annuities in one month. He couldn't believe it when I gave him the data. Now, why did this happen? Here's why. I'm in LA six weeks ago, and I'm having my board meeting with De La Hoya, Gabriel Brenner, all these guys. We're supposed to do our meeting there. No problem. I fly and I take my kids, my son and I, and uh, uh, my three kids and my wife and my nanny. We go over there. I take them to Universal Studios because, quite frankly, I love Universal Studios. But my oldest, Tico, who's at the door right now looking at my office, he also loves Universal Studios. So we're in L.A., you know, getting ready to prepare for the board meeting. I get a call. My senior board member whom I won't mention his name because he's a former CEO and president of a large insurance company, he says, I can't make it because I'm concerned about coronavirus. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, okay. Then my other board member says, I'm also not coming because if I come to LA from Greenwich, Connecticut, I have to go see my mom and dad. And I don't want to see them because I feel guilty if I pass something over to them. So I sat there, I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. Things are changing quickly. And then all of a sudden, shut down. NBA, it was the day when Adam Silver said, you know, NBA is shutting down, NHL is shutting down, Disneyland shutting down, Disney World. You know, so everybody, I said, babe, we got to fly back. So that day, we were in LA only for 23 hours. We're at Beverly Hills Hilton, we get a flight, we come back. When I come back, I held a meeting, emergency meeting. I sat in front of my 100 employees and I said, ask me any questions, what are you worried about? After I spent nine hours researching and reading everything, the, 
virality affected us? How much death do we have? How much data do we have? Past pandemics, past epidemics, what do we do with SARS? What happened with everything? So they ask me any question they want. Well, you know, my wife is a nurse. She's required to work and we have a kid. What do I do? You work from home. Well, I'm pregnant. You go home. Well, how about this? 80% of the employees went home. 20% stayed here. And uh, we, you know, self-distance, you know, everybody's away from it. It's a big office. Everybody's working in their own corners. We got around 20 people that are working out of the home office right now. Then I took every single presentation that we have and I converted it all to Zoom. Everything was converted to Zoom. Everything became so easy to present. Immediately, we held a conference call with all our carriers, all these major AIG, all the major insurance companies we work with. And we asked them to make some requests and they made some adjustment. Then we presented that message to our vice president, then to our marketing directors, then to all our agents. First two weeks, 60% of the agents were afraid. Out of the 40% that weren't afraid, they increased the spirit of these guys. We have to shut down all our offices because they can't sell from their offices because you cannot have more than 25 people in an office. So most people are selling uh, via Zoom, right? We've never done this before. So because we pivoted quickly, we ended up having an advantage of that change we made ASAP. Then the spirit and the confidence of leaders seeing us speaking every day said, why are they confident? Why are they confident? Why are they confident? That was infectious. Everybody picked it up. Then we had a record-breaking month. And then last two days, we had trained the trainers on Zoom for 48 straight hours, minus the sleep that people have. And we had 2,500 of our leaders on that Zoom listening to this training taking place. And it's, it's bonkers right now. So I say this with knowing. I was the one that originally said, what is going on over here? Is this something to be concerned about? Then research. Then I was calm because kind of have an idea what's going on. Then I shared this calmness with everybody around me with a strategy, and then we implemented it. So that, that's kind of what happened to us. I love that. I love that, share. So your competence gave you confidence in this area, and then you showed up and you gave other permission to show up and have that same confidence. I, I love that you shared that, Patrick, because when this started to happen as well, I saw this as an opportunity as a health practitioner to show up every single day and educate on the importance of your health. And I believe that when I show up with that positive light, I get permission to accept that and do the same with their community. So it's exactly what you did at a large scale. Uh, how important is it as an entrepreneur who has scaled his business and you're doing much, much more every single year, how important is it to prioritize your health in doing so? Oh, extremely important. I have a gym in my office and in our gym. So here's a couple of things we do at our office. Twice a week, we have a yoga instructor that comes at five o'clock. All our employees do yoga. It's free. We pay for it. And you'll see 40 mats laying on there and they'll do yoga. Okay. Everybody has to be quiet. They'll do the yoga, yoga class. My uh, staff, we put a gym in the back. It's a, it's a good sized gym and it's got any kind of equipment you're looking for different kind of cardio machines, pull-up, weights, bench, dumbbells, boxing. We got the whole nine set up over there. I'm somebody that I'm a byproduct of knowing the bigger the vision is. Say you're somebody that has a very big vision of what you want to do with your life. The bigger the vision requires more energy. The more energy it requires, the more attention to details of your health you need to do because those Three, go together. So somebody, I have a big vision to go out there and build a company that's this. Great. You need a lot of energy. If you need energy, you got to pay attention to your diet. You got to pay attention to your um, exercise. If you don't, 
you know, it's going to affect this. And you have to also pay attention to how, how often you get sick, how often you get the flu, because, you know, momentum is about compounding 90 days upon 90 days upon 90 days. And if you get sick for a week, you're losing momentum. So you can't have momentum being lost. Nothing is worse for a bodybuilder than competing, preparing for competition. And you get a flu three weeks out, your body gets flat. It's not a good look when you're getting the flu. So it is a very, very big part of my game and my life. I run two companies, Valuetainment Now is a company with 10 or 15 employees. And it's tough when you're creating content regularly and you're editing and we have an editing bay. We have a whole studio here. I put a million and a half dollars into Valuetainment. Valuetainment is gonna be its own media company and PHP and a wife and three kids and investors and your health. Without the energy part, I wouldn't be able to do my wife stuff. I wouldn't be able to do my kid stuff. I wouldn't be able to do the company stuff and, and save my sanity if I didn't have the energy. So yes, health is very critical. Amen, I'm on board with that. I wanna take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is Pure lifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You mentioned earlier about this chip on your shoulder that you cannot buy at Walgreens, and it's something that can happen from a life event. Like, for, for example, for me, I watched my father on his deathbed essentially for nine months before he lost his life. And it took my health or teaching health and as a career and a hobby to a purpose. And that, that's the chip on my shoulder. So I mentioned the YouTube channel, over 240 videos, I believe, in those 15 months, all professionally edited, done. This podcast, which is now a top 15 podcast, we have, this is going to be uh, 130 something episodes already in less than a year. And people ask me, how do I keep up with this? How do I have so much stamina? And it's because of that chip on my shoulder that I know this is my purpose. So what I'm trying to say here is, I heard you say two things before that you've noticed in your company, those who have a chip on their shoulder are usually women and immigrants. Could you expand upon that? Yeah. When I say women, the reason why I use women as an example is because women tend to be kind of looked at as, oh, okay, yeah. So 
That's great. It's awesome what you guys are trying to do. It's very nice. It's very sweet. But let me meet your husband, right? It's kind of like one of those things. But for us, when I was uh, first thinking about starting a company, I looked at the demographics of the marketplace and I saw the average agent was a 59-year-old white male, 59-year-old white male. And I said, okay, Obama got elected because he paid attention to the Latino community and minorities and women. And you're seeing what's going on with Ron Paul in 2007 as a 70-year-old man raised $6 million on MySpace in 24 hours on MySpace? Huh. Social media, Latino community, women, millennials, that's what we're going to do. And so when I started my insurance company, that was my focus. So right now, 53, 54% of our agents are women. My number one earner in the company that makes shy of $2 million a year income, she's a half white, half black woman. We are 51% Latino as a company. And the average age in the company is 33, 34 years old, millennial. So that became a focus. Why? Very simple. Immigrants have a chip because they are underdogs. I love underdogs. I'm an underdog guy. I mean, you always got to find a way to position yourself to be an underdog. So, you know, that's one element of underdog. Women in the insurance world, listen, 80% of insurance agents are men. 80 plus percent of all insurance agents are men. That's another underdog where, hey, we're going to go up against men, an industry that's typically being men. Yes. And it worked out very well for us. And then millennials, younger generation, you guys are lazy, you guys are this, you guys are that, no problem. What if we can find a platform where somebody's actually teaching you the right values and setting the right example and creating an opportunity nimble enough where you can be a millennial, yet at the same time you can go out there and make a difference? Here we go. We put that together, that became the culture. But to address it with your audience that you have, here's the idea with the audience that you have. Your audience are folks who are, help is very important to them. Paying attention to what they eat is very important to them. The balance of sleep, wanting to have a balanced life, I'm assuming that would probably be your audience that you have. And some of them are probably going to be sales or entrepreneurs or peak performers that you have watching your show. Okay. I'm always looking at a position of me being the underdog to produce an emotion that I want to prove a point. Yeah, I never want to be the Goliath in any situation. I always want to be the David in any situation because being the David allows me to look at the blind spot of Goliath. Being the Goliath creates a level of arrogance where you think you have everything figured out. It doesn't matter what world you're in. If you think like a Goliath, you will be taken on by David. If you think like a David, you will figure out ways to take out the next Goliath in your life. And the same Goliath doesn't stay the same Goliath. Goliaths come and go. Goliath could be a kid in high school that was bullying you. Goliath could be a guy that took that girl away from you. Goliath could be a small you know, competitor where she's getting more than you at the company and you're able to go out there and compete against her and you do more. Goliaths come in different forms, but thinking like a David always gives you an advantage. So you got to figure out a way to see where you're an underdog, where you have the edge, and then go play that uh, strategy to the end. And when you win, it's a pretty good feeling when you win as an underdog. What does the word discipline mean to you? What does the word discipline mean to you? I mean, you've heard the definitions. Discipline is what you do when no one's watching you. But, you know, I think that's a very good definition of discipline that you you regularly hear. I, I didn't quote that when I read that like 20 years ago. You know, to me, 
people ask me questions and they say, who do you work with? Guy was asking me questions saying, Pat, how do you judge someone's character? I said, how do you judge someone's character? How do you judge someone's character? Okay. I said, one, you maybe we get judged by who we choose to marry. Okay. Who you choose to marry is a form of judgment. Okay. Uh, meaning, uh, how did you choose why he is the right person for you? Or she's the right person for you. Okay. Your friends could be another method of why are you friends with those guys? You know, it's a form of reflection of who you are. You know, why are you choosing to be friends with them? That's another way you could be judged because maybe you like to befriend people that are complainers. If you got four complainers around you and your friends are all complainers, you're probably the fifth complainer. You know, if you got four lazy friends around you, believe me, you are also lazy. If you got four, uh, you know, crap magnets around you that always shit happens to them, you're the fifth one. You're also one. So I can't be around crap magnets because they can't stand me. They hate to be around me. People who make excuses, they despise my spirit. They can't even stand being around me. And I don't blame them. I agree with them. They shouldn't be around me if they like making excuses. I'm not a good person to be around if you like making excuses. But the same goes with who you decide to go into business with. Who you go into business with also shows what values and principles you chose for somebody to go into business with. Originally, when we're younger and we're dating, you're turned on by the 36, 24, 36. Oh my gosh, look at her butt, look at her boobs, look at her abs, look at her, oh my goodness, she's gorgeous. And then you go to dinner and you talk and there's nothing to talk about. You go on a date with a guy, muscle, six pack, you know, chiseled, looking good. And then you talk and they're like, no substance. Remember, you look good, but there's no substance, right? Sometimes you go and you hire somebody to go into business with. They got the fancy degree. They got all the things that look good. But you go into business, they're super lazy. They got the fancy degree and they're hiding behind that degree. I don't really care about the degree. Here's what I care about. And this goes to the question you ask about discipline. I care about people that say what they're going to do and they do it. To me, it's about your credibility score. Everybody wants a great FICA score, you know, uh, you know, 780, 810. Look at my credit score. It's an 810. It's an 805. It's a 790. I can get anything finance. I have my own credibility score that people have around me. And in my mind, I give them all scores. They just don't know it. So that guy's a 650, man. You can't trust him to get stuff done, but he'll get it done every once in a while. But I can't, I'm not going to give him the big projects. Then I got guys in my mind that are 800s. I'll call them. They're always the first calls I make because they get things done. So to me, discipline is tough to measure. But if you were to put it in a way that can be measured is when you say you're going to do something, can I bank on it? When you say you're going to do something, can I take it to the bank? If I can that means you're very disciplined and serious about getting what you committed to to come through, and I bank on that. Years ago, I was a guy, I was all over the place, and then one day I said, you know what I want? I want to be able to walk in the room, and the people that work with me on my team, they tell the world, whatever Pat says pretty much gets done. And the same way a person watching this can say, I want to make that kind of a reputation for myself, then start small. 
If you told your wife you're going to do something, go do it. If you told your mom you're going to do something, go do it. If you told yourself you're going to do something, go do it. If you said you're going to do 200 push-ups today, just do the 200 push-ups today. If you said you're going to go out there and stop eating bread for the next three weeks, just do it and test it for yourself. See how you do. If you said you're going to read 10 pages the next three weeks, read the 10 pages the next three weeks because it's developing that credibility score to know that when you say you're going to do something, do it. So I think that's probably the best, best way I would describe discipline in my mind. I love that. So what you're saying is these disciplines, they transfer into other areas of life. So if you're saying discipline with your health, that'll transfer into your business and that'll transfer into your relationships, what I'm hearing. Yes, for, for the most part. I know a lot of insane people that suck in business. And, and I know a lot of uh, people that are uh, doing okay in business but they're not in shape. So why? We, you, there's a lot of fat people you see in business that are making good money, but they're fat, they're sloppy, they they're eat everything and anything. This is why the four uh, uh, things I talk about when it comes down to success is outwork, out-improve, out-strategize, and then I finally added the last one, which is outlast. So outwork, out-improve, out-strategize, outlast. The two that we can't know for a long time is what? Out-strategize and outlast. Like many of my guys will call and say, Pat, this week I worked 80 hours. Great. This isn't about your best week. This is about your best 10 years. This is about your best five years. I had a 16-hour day today. Awesome. Good for you. But you slept in the next day and you had 11 hours of sleep. Who cares if you had a 16-hour? I'd much rather have you do six 12-hour days than one 16-hour day. I'm looking for lasting. So when you're saying how you do one thing, how you do everything, I, I used to agree with that, but I've just seen too many people in the world of business who are very good in business, but they lack a lot of discipline in their health. This is why you measure people on how long they can last. And the lasting part, when we started the Vitamin Channel, listen, we were 2,000 subs and our peers had 400,000 subs. You know, we had nothing going on and guys were at a million subs. But then I said, if you can constantly outwork out and prove out, I don't know that strategies yet of social media. I didn't know it back then. I'm like, I don't know what works, what doesn't. Time to go out with a video, uh, tagging, linking. I don't know this stuff, but I can learn the strategies eventually. But there's one thing I did know. I have a history of not stopping. And the longer I go, and if you can outlast me, bow down to you. I respect you because you can last a longer time than I can. But my trend shows I'm stubborn and I tend to last a long time. And so that's the part that becomes a differentiator. And the question, in the, in the comment that you made is how you do one thing, how you do everything. I used to, I used to subscribe to that mindset. But Ben, I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of people that I've brought on board to do business with me and I look at their physique. I'm like, wow, to look like that, you got to be really disciplined. It doesn't bleed into every other area. It typically does in certain areas. Very few is all those who are multidimensional. You got to salute those guys because it's hard to do that. So you mentioned your stamina. It's rare for somebody to outlast you. Does that come from your why? Are you clear on your highest values? And what is that? Yeah, it does. And it's so important for you to say, you know, it comes across as arrogance sometimes. People will sit there and say, oh my gosh, and you know, look at this. You know, if you listen to Kobe speak, he sounded arrogant for a long time. If you listen to Kobe and in interview, Jordan in interviews, you would be annoyed by him. 
If you listen to Bill Belichick, I don't know if you've seen Bill versus Bill or Bill and Bill on 3430. If you've not seen it, you got to see it. Bill Belichick used to be a coach under Bill Parcells. It is a fascinating documentary to watch. But if you watch Bill Belichick, how he spoke the first few years, you would say, who the hell is this guy? You know, if you listen to Trump, what a freaking full of dookie this guy's 40 years ago. How the hell can you talk like this 40 years ago? 40 years later, now we know why. Do you understand? Like to talk like that 40 years ago and to talk 40 years later, you got to have a high belief system. It doesn't matter what, whether you agree with this guy or not. Who the hell thinks like this for this many years? You know, so behind closed doors, you have the why that you're willing to share with the people. Everybody has a why that they're not going to share with people, not even with their own wives, by the way, or their spouses, their husbands. There are certain whys you're not going to share with anybody because sometimes if you do, people will think you're crazy. But your fire can be seen in different areas. I'll give you a couple of mine, okay? Originally, to me, Ben, whys come in levels, okay? So the first why is uh, survival. You want to make enough money to go out and live on your own because you're sick and tired of living with your parents and you know, them telling you what to do, curfew, you're like, I'm 20 years old. You don't tell me what to do. I'm going to go live wherever I want to do. So you can't wait to leave. Your first why is I want to be able to have a car payment, my own cell phone, have some money to go to a bar, hang out with a girl, do my own thing, survival. Then it becomes status. Oh, shoot, my friend graduated. He got a job. He just got a Mercedes C-Class. I got to buy a Mercedes. Oh, man, my sister just bought a house. I got to buy a house. Oh, man, my friend from high school who was a nobody, he just bought a seven series. I got to, it becomes then status, right? Oh, he's got a six pack. I got to get, so it's status. By the way, it's still not a bad thing. I love guys who are competitive enough to want to get a nicer lifestyle. It's not a bad thing. I know a lot of people talk shallow and make people feel guilty. I have no problem with that because it is a level that you're getting to the next level. Then the next level becomes, okay, I live in a decent place. I got a house. I got a car. I can compete with my siblings and my peers. I'm doing okay for myself, but I'm not free. Huh? What would life look like if I had 5 million bucks in a bank? You know, the levels of affluent, affluent means when you have 100,000 to a million dollars, you know, very high affluent means you have 5 million to 30 million, but ultra high net worth means you have 30 million to $999 million of investable cash. $30 million. I kind of want to be free. I wouldn't mind getting 5 million bucks, a million bucks, 10 million bucks, whatever the number becomes for you. Then you go to freedom. And then what's freedom? Then freedom is kind of, there becomes a moment where you're sitting there, you're like, this waitress gave me a terrible attitude. Man, she pissed me off. I asked you three times, Arnold Palmer, not iced tea. What kind of a freaking restaurant? You know what? If I wanted to, I can buy this restaurant and fire her. You know, like you go to those crazy thoughts where you're like, I am so sick of this restaurant. She shouldn't be a waitress here. It needs to be somebody else. You go to a tire shop and the guy talks to you like, I'd never have my customer service rep talk like that. Hey, Bobby, you don't deserve this job. You need to be in the back, not talking to a certain customer because you suck at customer service. How much is this tire shop? Six million bucks? What if I buy it and fire you, right? These weird thoughts that you think about, that if, but that is a form of freedom. It's like the movie Bugsy. If you've seen a movie Bugsy with uh, Bugsy Siegel, where he pulls up to the house and he looks at this house in Beverly Hills, he goes, knocks on the door. He says, uh, 
this is a nice house. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm buying your house. It's not for sale. Yeah, I know, but I'm buying your house. What's how much you want to sell it for? Sir, it's, it's not for sale. I know, but I'm buying it. What is the price on this house? If I were to sell it, it would be this. I'll give you $200,000 more than this. It's for sale. You, you understand? Like, that's freedom, right? Where you can go and build whatever the hell like. My wife says, what do you, I said, what do you want to do? 10-year anniversary. I don't know. You want to go to Monaco? Let's go to Monaco. We go to Monaco. It's a $100,000 trip. First class, 40 grand flight. We go there. We go to Cannes. We go to this place. We stay at a ridiculous place. We go out to Le Louis the Fifth. You know, we eat at these places. She goes shopping. $100,000 trip. How was it? Cool. Let's fly back. That's the freedom part. What do you want to do? Let's go do it. Then comes purpose, which is the highest one. Very few people get there. And on the purpose side, the more, you know, when you told the story off camera, off you being alive, when you told the story and talked about your dad, you got a little emotional. You know, I'm not saying tears, but I felt in your eyes there was a deeper meaning there. And then I told you, you're my favorite podcasters and content creators because it's real. You're not acting. This isn't fake. It's sincere. No wonder your audience loves you. You're not just getting up here and trying to sell courses and seeing it as a way of making money. No, no. And if you do that, nothing wrong with that because the foundation is solid. It's not built on, let me go make money. No, my dad died. What you said, 2013, your dad died, right? And now you want to move your mom from Texas to Miami. And you were so proud of saying that. That's beautiful, man, when you're talking about that. That's purpose. When you get to purpose, audience feels it. When the audience feels it, the right people show up. And then there's levels to purpose, what you want to do next with the life and how you use this level of purpose to ignite the next level of purpose to ignite the next level of purpose. For me, my dad had a heart attack. I went to the hospital. They treated him bad. Not bad. I mean, they just like treated him as another person at the hospital and I lost it. They called the cops on me. I said, you don't treat my dad like this. The lady said, what are you talking about? This is a government hospital. You ain't paying for this. You don't dictate how we treat your dad. The taxpayers do. And it was the biggest moment for me. I went in the car after they kicked me out of the hospital. You said, I sat in the focus. I cried for 30 freaking straight minutes. And I said, never again. I don't care how much this is going to cost. I came the next day. My eyes changed. I was the guy that had the eyes that were always looking at girls' butts and always looking at yeah, I'm going to go to the club. And my eyes were all women. The only lens I had on was women. I, I mean, I was like, I went 17 months with no sex. People thought I was nuts when I did that. I'm the last guy that would go 17 months without sex. People thought I was crazy when I did that. But because when I saw my dad, here's a man that sacrificed everything to bring me here. No way in the world. You do not cross the line with my dad. So that was level one purpose. Then from there, I started making money. Then I had freedom. Then I had a meeting with five of my advisors. One of them was George Will. One of them was a few people that worked on Reagan's uh, campaign, all this stuff. So I brought them together and I had a meeting with them. And I said, I want to know what I want to do next. And then they gave me some feedback. And then I went and pursued those, you know, purpose uh, for myself. And then it turned into a whole different story. And then it is where it is today. So to talk about the lasting part, if the vision is a big vision with a longer life time span, meaning it's going to take longer to get there, that's going to produce a different kind of a energy to know that you have to last longer. If the vision is just, I want to be a millionaire, you can do it in two or three years nowadays. 
But if the vision is bigger than that 20 or 30 year run, you definitely need to know how to last. So my vision is a pretty big vision. It's going to require me to stay focused for a long time. Thank you for that share. And I appreciate you remembering what I shared with you before we hit record. A couple more questions here before we wrap this up. For me, I'll just share that. I write down my goals every single night and every single morning, and I haven't missed a day in probably three and a half years. So I have notebook after notebook. And I learned this from Grant Cardone, who I know you interviewed. He lives right down the street from me here. And I have put my goals in front of me. So how important is it for somebody listening right now or watching on YouTube who has a health goal or a business goal or they want to start a new podcast or whatever that goal is, how important is it to write those goals on a consistent basis and keep it in front of them? I think it, wor it works for some people and does nothing for certain other people because of how you're motivated. So for me, this is the vision behind me. I'm a visual guy. I like to have stuff in front of my eyes. I want to see explain it. it. Right? Explain it for those who, are, who can't see it. Yeah, so this is, this is a painting that I had made. It's called Dead Mentors. I'm over here in the blue suit. That's the Chevy run right behind me. That's Senna, who's my uh, most incredible race car driver. I named my daughter after him, Senna. His last name is my daughter's first name. That's Tupac. That's Lincoln. That's Kennedy, Einstein. And then over here, you got Milton Friedman, economist. And then you got MLK, which is somebody I admire a lot. And they're debating a book, two books that's on the table there. You won't be able to see it. It's about economy. One is Communist Manifesto, and the other one is Atlas Shrugged. I got these personalities here, Joker. I got the Incredible <laughs> Hulk. I got Batman. I got a little bit of each of those guys in me. Then over here, you got the wall with uh, all these guys, Jordan, Kobe, Magic, Snoop. You got the George Washington autograph right there. Then you got over here in the back, which is a bunch of different guys in a bookshelf that says read. And for me, rather than writing, I have to see it. So I was always about making different kind of vision boards. So I made multiple kinds of vision board. One was about leadership, people that I admired. One was about dreams. And one was about philosophies, meaning quotes, things philosophers said, things that are written in different kinds of books, whether it was Proverbs. And I had them, there was massive. So I had three of them. One, it was my dream, it got me excited. One, it was about leadership, how to become a great leader with visionaries. And the other one was philosophies, how to be a better thinker. So if a person does well with writing their goals over and over again, and it works for them, go for it. It didn't do anything for me. I have to see it. So every day I walk in, I see stuff. When I see it, I get fired up. So if, it wor if it's working for you for three and a half years, uh, don't listen to me. Keep doing what you're doing. But if somebody is saying, I tried it for three weeks and I couldn't stop, continue doing it, then go buy a bunch of magazines, go buy a bunch of books, go buy a, a, a nice... Uh, 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 what do you call a uh, uh, frame that you can frame it by a, a 24 by 36 inch paper and start gluing and taping all these pink, uh, pictures on there and statements that mean a lot to you. Then put them right next to your office or your desk or wherever it is. So you can see it over and over again, even put it as a, what do you call it? A screenshot on your phone. Yeah. to see it. Yeah. When you do I actually that, have that, I actually have that, um, my vision board here, TED, Ted Talk, uh, New York Times bestselling author. So exactly there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly how, because every time somebody gets a call, you're psychologically seeing that. So I'm a visual person. It's worked for me. And I tried that out. And I'm a big affirmation person. Affirmation is very, very big for me. I mean, I've had affirmations on my shower walls everywhere. I'm a byproduct of affirmations. That worked for me. But I've noticed, Ben, over the years of working with thousands of people, no two people are driven by the same thing. And so I, I give them all the options and whatever somebody tests out and then something clicks, then it works for them. So I give them options, but I challenge them to stick to one of them until it works for them. 
That's awesome. I love that. And on my um, computer wallpaper, you can't see it here, but I have a photo. I photoshopped it. I had my editor photoshop it, but I'm holding the gold plaque for YouTube and I'm smiling and it says, congratulations to Keto Camp for having a million subscribers. I love and I, that. Every single day I open my computer and I see that. Love uh, that. Final question for you is, what is, out of the, all the interviews you've done, uh, there are probably hundreds, maybe thousands of interviews you've actually done where somebody has interviewed you. What is the one question that you don't get asked, but you want to be asked? Yeah, I, I've been asked that multiple times as well, that question. And, and here's what I will say that I think it's important for everybody. So the other day, I sent something on Twitter and I said, I don't hear anybody saying cash is trash anymore. What happened, right, is what I posted on Twitter. And next thing you know, everybody, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Pat is saying this. You know, I know who he's talking about. He's talking about Ray Dalio because Ray Dalio just said cash is still trash, and he's saying this, and he's saying that. Okay. Seven days later, Ray Dalio does a TED Talk, and he says uh, cash is still trash, right? Oh, Pat, he called you out. You know, he did this. I'm like, I have a new book coming out with Simon & Schuster called Your Next Five. By the way, this literally just came in 30 minutes before. You're the first podcast I've ever showed this to. It came in 30 minutes before I jumped on the box from FedEx is sitting right there. Looks called great. Your Next Five Moves. And the quote at the top is from Ray Dalio. And he says, Patrick is the most, one of the most exciting thinkers I've had a chance to converse with. So he puts this, he puts that quote on there and I, this is a strategy book, your next five moves. And it's mastering the art of business strategy. I go through specifically on how I process issues and make decisions. It's on a book. It's coming out. It'll be at every single airport uh, to pick up your next five moves. And I even think they put it up already on their own website and on Amazon. So if somebody wanted to pick it up, pre-sale starts May 19, but I think it's already up there. So Pat, Ray Dalio is worth 19 billion you're not worth 19 billion. At best, you're worth $300 million. Say you're worth between 200 low to $300 million. Why are you debating a $19 billion man? Good point. Where are you going with this? Let me tell you where I'm going with this. Okay. So I think this is the best part for the audience to finish up with. I said, look, 99% of the time, people don't ask the right questions. Why? Let me explain. I said, where are you at right now financially? I make a quarter million dollar year income. I said, okay. Do you think Ray Dalio says cash is still trash? Do you think he's given that advice to middle America? I don't know. Do you think he's given that advice of cash is still trash to low income families? I don't know. Do you think he's given that advice to people that are making less than a million dollar income? Probably not. He's saying cash is trash to the people that are around him all the time, which is institutional, you know, investments and hedge fund guys and high ultra high net worth 30 million to 999 and even billionaires. Yes, cash is trash to those people. If you go and look at the data, a study that was done, I did a video on this, if you haven't seen this, is Ray Dalio right? There's a data that was done showing people who have $10,000 in savings, $100,000 in savings, a million, 10 million, 100 million, all the way down to a billion, and then it shows different areas people put their monies at. So stocks, business ownership, cash, real estate, investments, percentage. And you notice the poorest people have the most cash, percentage-wise. The richest people have the fewest percentage of cash. Makes sense. But the reason why the richest people don't need the biggest percentage of cash to be cash is because they are rich. They, they have 
decades of their expenses covered if were to hit the fan. Poor middle income or people less than a million dollars do not. It's a different ballgame. So the question isn't, is cash still trash? Of course he's going to say yes. Is cash trash if I'm making a quarter million dollar year income and only have $60,000 in a bank and my monthly expenses are 12 grand a month and I got two kids, one of them is a year old, the other one is two year old, my wife doesn't work, she's a stay Yes, cash is king to you, buddy. So if there's anything I can live with the audience is don't ask questions of people at the phase of life they're in today. Ask the question of the phase of life you're in and the decisions they made when they were at the same as phase as you were and what adjustments then they made, then go from there. If you don't have a girlfriend, you don't need to ask about what it's like to be a grandpa. It, it's irrelevant. If you don't have a girlfriend and you're looking for a girlfriend, ask, how do I find a woman to be with long-term? What do you look for? If you don't have $10,000 to your name, don't ask, how do I get a billion dollars? Ask, how the hell do I get $10,000? How do I make my first $100,000? Don't big shot it because you're going to skip those additional nine steps that you need. And you're already asking about step number 13. So I don't think I've ever answered that question in the way that I just did to you. And I think the reason why I'm answering right now is because it's fresh on my mind because I just did the episode last week. So that's what I would leave your audience with. Ask the question based on the phase you're at. If you're asking it because of where they're at, ask it because you're trying to get yourself excited and maybe, oh my gosh, maybe one day the dream life, I'd love to have it. But I want strategic steps for now. Thank you for that, Patrick. And we're, we're going to sign off here because we're out of time. But I want to acknowledge you, Patrick, for the work that you've been doing every single year since I've been studying you. I am so inspired by you all the time. Where is the best place for my audience to go check out your work? I think the best thing they could do since this is now here in my hands is go click on the link below that I'm sure you're going to put to go buy your next five moves. This will come out here soon when we get the final dates, but I think you can order it. And the best way to find me if they want to message me, you send me a tweet at Patrick Bay David, I will respond. But if you want to see my content, just go on YouTube and type in value Tim and you'll find us. And the last quick question is what would be the score based off of our conversation that you would give me that credit score analogy that you, you spoke about? I haven't done enough business with you to know. So I don't know how you're going to deliver with your, when this goes out, when the like the links and all that stuff, that's, that's how to judge it. But just character from speaking to you, then you have a very high trust score. First impression, your score is very, very high with me. You seem very trusting, strong character based. Your parents did a great job raising you and it oozes out of you. It's unbelievable. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time today. Anytime, buddy. I had, had a good time with you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. It lit a fire in me. It was one of my all-time favorite interviews, and you could see how excited I was to speak with this man. Go get his book that he talked about. We're going to put a link for it down below in the notes of this podcast. We're going to put all his resources down below. Go check it out. And if you want to watch the video version, go to Keto Camp on YouTube to watch that. Take a screenshot of this episode. Tag myself. Tag Patrick at the Benazadi and at Patrick Bet David. When I see it, I'll share it on my stories. And send this episode to a friend. Maybe you have a friend who's just not getting the results they want. They have these ideas to start a business or to scale their business, and they've been struggling with the discipline, with the mindset, with the success principles. Text this episode to them. You never know the difference you can make if you just sent them a text. So please, I encourage you to do so. And I also encourage you to leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you're listening from. It really helps the show grow. 
so please do so. And thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. Be great, be well. You'll hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.